Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. Well, today we've come to the end of our walk through the Gospel of John. And as we've journeyed through Jesus' ministry on this earth, we've heard a lot of different stories. The question is, what are we to conclude about the person of Jesus as a result of all these stories? Well, John, at the end of his book, tells us exactly why he recorded the stories that are in his book. And we're going to take a look at that today and what it means for you and for me. This sermon was delivered by Mount Hope's senior pastor and Burlington location pastor, Pastor Rick. He does an excellent job, so I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Uh, this morning, we are finishing up our series through the Gospel of John. Believe it or not, we started this back on Good Friday, back in March or April, I guess. Um, Easter started going through the book of John, uh, and we're going to finish it up this morning, and next week begin a series of four messages from the book of James, and we'll start that next week. Pastor Brian will be here and start that in both services, uh, but this week, finishing up in the book of John, one final message from John. Let me start off by saying this. How many of you have ever experienced miscommunication? Yes, you experienced miscommunication, right? How many of you experienced it if you're married in a marriage? Mis- yeah, once in a while. With kids? Yeah, we've done it, like, all, all of the above for me, um, all of the above. Like, in marriage, I was trying to think, I was talking to Wendy, like, what are the times we've miscommunicated? And I think she was like, let me get the list. Um, but there's one I can remember in particular. We were in a car together driving to a birthday party, together in the same car, driving to the same birthday party. I'm in the driver's seat, she's in the passenger seat, we're going. We had to make a couple stops on the way. So we make a couple stops. I had to make a stop. I run into one stop. She stays in the car. And, and then we drive, and we had to make another stop. She had to run in, and she ran in, and, and I stayed in the car. We get to the birthday party. Oh, I should tell you this. Before we left the house, we had no birthday present for this birthday party. When we got to the birthday party, we had two birthday presents <laughs> for the birthday party. Because our wonderful community, neither one of us had talked to each other that we had both just gone in and bought birthday presents for the same birthday party while we're sitting in the same car driving to the party together. Not great communication. Uh, Parents with kids, maybe, you know, I don't know if it's with you, but I know with my kids, uh, maybe the statement, uh, clean your room now, it has a lot of, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of potential for miscommunication there. Seems pretty clear. But the only word in that sentence that is definitive is room, um, and everything else has to be negotiated. Um, Usually, what does clean mean? What does now mean? Um, A lot of room for miscommunication. Text messages. Text messages leave a lot of room for miscommunication. Um, I I read about one, saw a picture of one where a daughter, a mom had texted uh, her daughter and asked him you know, some of these little acronyms. And the mom asked, what does IDKLY and TTYL mean? You probably got the answer. What does IDKLY and TTYL mean? The daughter texted back, I don't know, love you, talk to you later. The mom texted back, okay, I'll ask your sister. (laughs) 
Here's another one. This one I got up here. It takes you a little, I'm going to read it. Uh, here's a text message that came in. I'm here for you. Next, thanks. I'm going through a tough time, so it means a lot. communication, right? Sometimes happens. It definitely happens in text messages. I think I spend more time sometimes um, trying not to miscommunicate in text messages than I actually spend in communicating something. Have you done this? Like you send a text message and you're like, oh, I don't think they're going to understand that. So I got to send another one. And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that came across. Let me put some emojis in. Uh, like, this is a happy one. This is not, you know? And you're trying to, we're trying to, because there's so much room for miscommunication that happens. It certainly happens in our relationship with each other. It happens through something like text messaging. So it certainly can happen with something like a letter or a document that was written a couple thousand years ago to different people uh, that you and I are reading today. When we come to the Bible, it's God's word to us, but it's God's word to us through people that God inspired to write to people that lived thousands of years ago. So the potential for miscommunication, you can imagine, is huge. And as we finish up the Gospel of John, I'm going to uh, I'm not going to talk for too long this morning. It's actually a pretty brief message, pretty straightforward, because all I want to do is make sure that we did not miscommunicate and you did not get the wrong message as we have gone through the Gospel of John. I want to focus in really on one particular thing, and that is why John wrote this Gospel And a gospel is nothing more than an account of the life, death, resurrection, and teaching of Jesus Christ. We have four of them in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts. And John is an account of the life, death, resurrection, and teaching of Jesus Christ. We come to this, and what we want to make sure is we did not miscommunicate. And to make sure that bottom line, at the end of this series, you got what was the main point of this whole series. Because the truth is, a lot of people can hear things about Jesus and get the wrong idea. If you go through the book of John, there's all kinds of instances in Jesus' life that you could get the wrong idea about if you stop there. If you stop at chapter 2 after he turns water into wine, you think, well, Jesus just loves parties. And Jesus is a great guy who just loves parties and doesn't want the party to end. But you can't stop at chapter 2. If you stop at chapter 3, maybe you think, well, Jesus is just someone who likes to challenge the religious establishment, and he's, he's always kind of out there challenging the establishment. If you stop at chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well, maybe you think, well, he's just someone who likes to embrace the outsider and, and always looking and loving the outsider. If you stopped at chapters 5, 9, or 11, you think, well, he's a healer. He's, he's incredible. He does these great miracles and does these great works. He doesn't even need to do surgery. He doesn't need to die. He's just able to heal any sickness that's there at any moment. Chapter 6 is the feeding. Provides food for thousands of people from just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And you think, well, he's a provider. He's just someone who provides for my needs when I, when I need them. 
Others will come and think that he's a moral teacher. You read through and you think, well, there's some good things he said, and they're important, and if you obey them, and we'd probably be a better world because of it. We'd probably care for each other more. We'd probably love each other more. We'd probably be a better place because of it. Or you might think, well, he's just a great leader. But no matter what you think about Jesus, you have to recognize that 2,000 years later after his death and resurrection, billions of people have followed his teaching. Billions of people have followed him and thousands, hundreds of thousands. Whoa, not that short. <laughs> Close. We had, all right, this is not working. Right. We'll go from there. Um, he's a great leader. Billions of people followed him, and hundreds of thousands of people have been willing to die for him. So you'd have to admit he's a great teacher uh, and a great leader. But here's the thing. Uh, Jesus is all of those things, but he's not merely any one of those things. And I think sometimes when people come to Jesus, the temptation can be, well, I like this aspect of Jesus, but I'm not too keen about that aspect of Jesus. And so I'm going to hang on to the feeding and the healing stuff, but the love my neighbor and pray for my enemies and those who persecute me, mm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not sure I want that stuff. See, the temptation can be to make Jesus in our image and to basically come and just take what we want. John wants to be careful. He wants to be careful that he and that the people that are receiving his writing and will be reading his writing know exactly what was the most important. So he, the last miracle he actually records is back in chapter 11. Um, and then the rest of the book has really been on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he puts a lot of weight on that, that that's important. And in fact, in John chapter 19... Uh, verse 35, talks about how important that is. He says, he who saw it, this is the crucifixion of Jesus, John writes, he who saw it, he's talking about himself, has borne witness. His testimony is true. Look, this happened. I saw it. Take my word for it. And the reason I want you to know is so you may believe. The truth is, everything that John has been telling in his gospel is pointing to something else. It's pointing to something beyond. It's pointing to something bigger. In fact, we've talked about it all through the gospel. As Jesus calls himself the bread of life, as he calls himself the light of the world, as he calls himself living water, his point is that it points to something bigger, something beyond himself. It's a signpost. A number of years ago, my family and I went to the Grand Canyon, and um, we went there. Actually, no, it wasn't my family and I. It was just Wendy and I. Just Wendy and I. It was, that was our family then. Um, so Wendy and I went to the Grand Canyon. And when you go to the Grand Canyon, you get into Grand Canyon National Park, uh, way before you get to the Grand Canyon. And when you get to Grand Canyon National Park, there's a sign that says, Welcome to the Grand Canyon. 
Now, here's what we didn't do. We didn't go to the sign that said, welcome to the Grand Canyon. Say, hey, let's get out of the car. Let's take some pictures. Take some pictures of you. We'll get some pictures of me. We'll get some selfies. Got that sign. All right, now let's head home. Like, let's leave. We didn't go just to see the sign. You went to see the Grand Canyon. And so the sign is there simply to point to something greater, to say, hey, look at this. In the same way in the miracles, the feedings, the teaching, all these things about Jesus that we see and we love about Jesus in the gospel leading up to the death and resurrection are signposts pointing to a greater reality. But if you stop at the signpost and you miss the point of what John is writing, then you stop short of really the purpose that we've been going through the book of John, the purpose he wrote the book, and really you stop short of the purpose we do everything we do here at Mount Hope. John, more than anyone else, makes the purpose of why he wrote clear. It's as almost if he writes in our modern language this whole text message, and then he's like, ah, I still think they're going to miss it. I'm afraid they're not going to get it. I'm afraid they're going to miss it. So he comes to chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and he says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you've got your own Bible, you've got a paper Bible, and you write in your paper Bible, highlight, circle, star, do whatever you do to mark that verse. If you've got a digital version, highlight it on there, because that is for this purpose. He says, these things are written. These things has a specific and a very general sense. The very general sense is everything I've written so far, all the miracles are written. The very specific sense is the stuff he just said about his appearances after the resurrection are written so that you may believe. Because remember, John's saying, look, you can trust me. I was there, firsthand witness. I was there. You can trust me. This is my testimony. We saw him after he died and rose again. And he said, so these things are written. Why? He says, so that. He gives a purpose statement. So that what? So that you may believe. It's why we called this series what we did, because again and again and again through the book of John, we have this testimony of people of believing, believing. In fact, if you go through the book of John, when we first went through this uh, back in January, we went through it preparing for this series, and I was like amazed that if you go through the book of John, no story really concludes until either someone believes or doesn't believe. That's how you know John is going on to the next story because he says they believed or they didn't believe. And then he goes on to the next account of the story in Jesus. It's all about whether you're going to believe it or not. And so John says, these things are written so that you may believe. Well, believe what? 
I mean, you ask a lot of people today, and they say, well, I believe. Well, believe what? He doesn't leave that up to debate. He said, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Sometimes we say Jesus Christ almost like it's his last name. Right? We do. We almost, even in worship, I'm not even saying when, we're, when people say it flippantly. I'm just saying when, even when we worship, we'll say Jesus Christ. When we pray, we'll say Jesus Christ. We use it almost like it's his last name. It's not, and many of you may know that, but maybe you don't. It's not, it's a title. So John says that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, which was a, a, a Greek word, basically meaning Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, or the Savior. All of those things are wrapped up in that. So that you may know that Jesus is the Savior. He's the one coming from God. He's the Messiah. And that tells us two things. It tells us, one, yes, Jesus is the Savior, but it tells us, two, you and I need a Savior. You and I need a Savior so that you may believe that Jesus is the Savior knowing that, why is that important? If I don't need a Savior, that's not important. John said, he, you need saving. And so Jesus is the Savior because we're all fallen people. We try as hard as we can to fix ourselves and we try as hard as we can to fix this world, but it still ends up messed up. And so God sent a Savior because we're fallen. No matter how hard we try in our own strength, we fall short. I was out to lunch recently. We were out to lunch with a family from the church one Sunday. And um, we were with them, and my son, our kids were with us. And I was talking with this family from the church, and they were saying how much they enjoyed the church and how much they, you know, they just loved coming, and they've begun to connect, and they, were, they had all these great things to say about the church, and welcome, that's wonderful, that's wonderful, and I, I said to them what I usually say to someone when, after all that, and I say, well, give us a little time, we'll disappoint you, and, you know, it'll eventually come, and my son, I think, th- took a little bit of offense at this, he was like, what do you mean, we'll disappoint you, you know, well, you know, you're not really doing much of a case to, to build up the, you know, build your case here, dad. But it's true, because I know it's true, because we're fallen people, and because the church is full of people who aren't perfect people. And at some point, we'll do something that probably you'll either not like or be disappointed in or wonder why we did that. We'll make a mistake, because we make mistakes, because we all need a Savior. And so John says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one you've been looking for. Just wants to be completely clear on that. And he says that you may believe. I think that word is different than that you may know. Sometimes we think it's good enough just to know. Sometimes we think knowledge is enough. Well, I know that Jesus is the Christ. I know that Jesus is God. I know that, you know, I know all that, and that's good enough. But it doesn't use the word know. It uses the word believe, and there's a difference. In the book of James, we're going to get to next week, there's a statement that James says. He says, uh, even the demons believe 
and tremble. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's an interesting statement because what he's saying is, look, the devil has a perfect theology of God. He knows who God is. He knows everything. He has a better theology than you. He just doesn't believe it in the sense of putting his full trust in God. There's a difference between knowing and believing. You may come through this whole gospel and say, yeah, I know all that. But do you believe it? Will you believe it to the point where you will take God up at his offer in the rest of this statement? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. His next line is the Son of God. The Son of God. And this is what John has been calling Jesus throughout the book. Son of God, meaning not of uh, that he's lesser than or came after. Jesus is God, but son, meaning not a qualitative, but of relationship. That this is, we don't have a complete understanding of how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another, but we get glimpses of it in the scripture. Son defers to the Father, the Spirit to the Son. The Son, the Spirit right, teaches about the Son, and the Son points to the Father, and there's this relationship with one another. One God, three persons, don't completely understand all of that, but we see it for sure revealed in Scripture. And so that you may believe that Jesus was not just a man, but is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then the final thing he says is that in believing this, that you would have life in his name. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have life in his name. Here's what John wants to be sure of. Here's what he's been saying the whole time. Jesus is God, and that if you will put your belief in him, that he gives you life. He gives you life on this earth. He gives you life eternally, life with God. That's what he's saying. He's saying he, he, that's his offer to you. And everything he's written up to this point, everything Jesus did, he's saying the death, the resurrection proves it. gathering together, whatever we do, musicians investing money in technology, putting out in, uh, snacks after service, going to parks, everything that we do, ultimately is for this purpose, because we want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, that you would have life. And John says the reason you can trust that, not only because everything he did, but because he died and rose again. And if he did that, then he can offer you life because death did not defeat him. Theologian uh, Wolfgang, can you put that? Wolf, Wolfhart Pannenberg.
Jesus Christ, scientifically and academically, uh, find as much evidence that it happened for any other event in human history that you don't question that happened. All kinds of historical facts that have been taught to you and I, and we don't question them, whether Napoleon existed or uh, whether you know, certain wars happened or certain things occurred, and we don't question them. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, often there's a lot of questions that come up. Well, how and why? Well, for those two reasons, I think. One, it's unusual. I've never seen a resurrection. It doesn't happen all the time. I don't, I don't see it. It's unusual. Two, if it's true, it means that everything else he said is true. And it means that it makes demands on our lives. It means that he is God. And if he's God, he has the right to tell me what to do. He has the right to teach and instruct and tell you what to do. And if we are going to know him and be in relationship with him, then we need to follow that and serve him. And a lot of us may at times, many people may not want to do that. And so they know, but they don't believe. That's essentially the question this morning before you. Do you believe? And will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you can have eternal life? I'm going to ask the musicians to come back and those that are going to help me serve communion to come forward. We're going to conclude this service and this message series by having communion together. The communion table, as much as really anything we do in the church, reminds us of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we come to this table with this piece of bread and this cup of juice representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. What we are affirming is this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we follow. We are affirming that the God that we worship is the God who gave his life, his flesh and his blood, that we might have life. If you've come through this entire series or maybe you've come to church and walked through the doors for the first time this morning, the offer that God has, offers to you is that if you believe in him, if you believe in Jesus, put your life in his hands, trusting him, that he's your savior, that he is God, that you can have life. Not just life here, but life beyond here, life eternally, to never die, to be with God forever. Father, as we prepare to gather around this table, would you prepare our hearts? God, for every other reason that we might be in this room, whatever else brought someone else here, God, whether it's because someone was just invited and came, whether they just walked in the door this morning, or whether some of us are here because we like Jesus' teaching, or we like that he heals, or we like that he loves the outsiders, down and out, or we like that he's 
meek and humble or all those other things we may like. Whatever reason brought us into this room this morning. Father, I pray that you would call us to yourself, not only to know, but to believe that Jesus is all of these things, but ultimately Jesus is God. And that our lives are called to be lived in submission to him and who he is. And that we can trust Jesus to guide and lead our lives, Lord. Trusting not only with our earthly existence, but trusting with our eternity. And if that's you this morning and you've never done that, I would encourage you, if this is the morning, that you would want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has not made it difficult. He's done all the hard work. He's laid down his life. He rose again from the dead so you could know you can trust him. That you would in your heart and in your life and in your space right now tell Jesus, I believe. I believe and so I want to put my life in your hands that you would lead me, that you would guide me, that I would trust you to be my God. I believe. And maybe those of us who are Christians in here would take this moment to reaffirm our commitment to him. Lord, my trust is in you the crucified Lord. Which didn't make any sense to those who were seeing it, that God would die. And yet it had to happen so that we might live, so that death might be defeated, that the price we had incurred paid. Lord, there are things sometimes in our lives that we don't always understand to believe and to trust. And may we in this time reaffirm that trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E.org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.